Recently, I've been reading through Paul's letter to the Philippians in the New Testament of the Bible. Paul had established a church in that area during his second missionary journey, and that was around 50 AD. And uh, the letter was written about four years after he'd established the church. And he was checking to see that the original message of the good news of Jesus was still central to their lives. He wasn't just leaving the communication to chance, but he wanted to make sure that the Philippians were still living by that message, that what was said in the Bible, uh, sorry, what he had spoken to them when he was there, was uh, still being followed, that they were living in a life that was serving and honouring God. And I guess in a way, what I found when I was reading through Philippians was it's like a checklist of things that are important for our ongoing Christian lives. Checking, have you got the message correct? Is the communication okay? Are you understanding what you have to do? Are you still living that way and still doing that? Making sure that the Philippians weren't off track. And today I want to do the same. I want to look at some selected verses from Philippians and use them as a bit of a, a checklist or a, a, I guess a way of fine-tuning and adjusting to make sure that what we understand in our Christian life is actually what we're living that uh, we're doing things that God intended for us to do and we're not heading off the track. And I think we need to keep checking our lives regularly, realigning them with God's word. Because a small diversion, a small degree, can become a big one if we don't keep checking. And it's not about checking what do I think and what does someone else say. It's checking through the word of God. It's like the diagnostic tool. Now, for those of you who have a car, you probably have it serviced once every six months or 10,000 kilometres or whenever it starts to break down. But we have to keep checking our lives more regularly than that. It's not a six-month checkup. It's got to be a daily kind of a checkup. But before we start looking at verses from Philippians, I want to take some time to set the context. It's really important. I want to paint two pictures. The first picture is what life was like way back then. The letter to the Philippians has a positive and an upbeat um, tone. It's a lot about joy. It's about giving thanks. It's about being grateful for what God has given us. It's about the Christian life, how it's good um, to hold fast in difficult times. And there's this overall sense in the letter that there's a lot to rejoice about, that you can be optimistic and confident in Christ. But it's important to know that this sense of positivity and confidence didn't come from Paul's circumstances. Paul was the writer of the letter. It didn't come because life was going smoothly for him or because things were carefree and easy. Life for Paul was personally very hard. And in other parts of the New Testament, he writes about some of the hardships that he faced, ongoing persecution, um, being shipwrecked, Um, being beaten and left for dead, uh, hunger, being imprisoned. In fact, he wrote this letter from prison. But even broader than that, in those times, life for Christians was very difficult. In this new church, they were living under the weight of the Roman Empire, and that was very hard. And when you understand how difficult it was for them, this sense of joy and confidence that Paul expresses in Philippians is even more remarkable. And we realise, of course, that it comes from his close relationship with God. 
Philippi was the first church that was established on European soil. It was a Roman colony in the country of Macedonia and it was heavily influenced by Roman culture. During the time that Paul wrote that letter, Nero was the emperor of Rome. He was a cruel and perverse ruler who had little regard for human life. But that disregard for human life wasn't just confined to Nero. It was embedded in many areas of uh, Roman society. We're well aware of the, uh, the gladiator games. They were an absolute bloodbath um, where hundreds and hundreds of people would die for the pleasure of the spectators. That's well known. But you may not know that drowning of children was common, particularly if they were unwanted or if they appeared weak or abnormal at birth. Killing baby girls was also common because they weren't considered to be of much value. Attitudes towards women in general were poor. Human sacrifices were frequent. There was the encouragement of suicide, particularly among those who were sick or infirmed. There were high levels of sexual immorality and nothing was thought of as forbidden or disgraceful. And in regards to religion, the Romans had many gods. They had gods for all occasions and all aspects of life. There's a building in Rome that still stands called the Pantheon and it was a monument to the gods. And there were places around the Pantheon for 150 statues and idols And people could go in there and they could worship their particular God and offer sacrifices to their particular God. From that point of view, the Romans probably would have accepted Christianity just as another God to be put on the shelf and worshipped. And the Christians, to do that, they would have to pay respect to the other gods, which would have been idolatrous. Christians were often asked to denounce Jesus and to give honour to the Roman gods. And declining to do that frequently meant imprisonment, torture and death. They didn't do as the Romans did. Recorded in the writings of that time, one person said of the Christians, you do not attend our shows, you take no part in our processions, you are not present at public banquets, you abhor the sacred gladiatorial games. The early Christians certainly were in the world but not of the world and this caused them hardship and suffering. But Paul knew the value of suffering. It strengthened Christians. It produced a breed of Christians who would die for their faith. One writer noted theirs, speaking of the Christians, theirs was not a superficial faith. In times when persecution eased, Some who had not been truly transformed by Jesus joined the church. They were members out of convenience rather than deep convictions, outwardly conforming to the faith rather than inwardly being transformed. In fact, historical records or traditional legends state that all of the original disciples of Jesus died a violent death, except for John, who uh, died in his old age. Even Paul, one of the first apostles, was beheaded by Nero in Rome. But from all of this, Paul writes in Philippians, Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. So as we look through these verses, and they talk about happiness and joy and gladness and giving thanks realize 
the context that they were written in, they were very, very tough times. But before we look at those verses in Philippians, I want to paint one further picture of a society where minimal thought is given to God, where people can spend more time in front of a screen than in relating to others. A society where conversations are typed rather than spoken, where all manner of perverse material is available at the push of a button, where success is rated according to the number and value of your possessions, while the poor and needy still struggle, where being a Christian is so easy that people drift in and out, in and out. Where because we're so digitally connected, our focus is never fully on one thing, even in church. Where there are so many different versions of the truth that it's acceptable for everyone to discover their own truth. So it's easy to look back to the time of the Philippians and the context of their society and be critical and agree with Paul. Yes, Paul, there is a need to write this message, to clarify communication and make sure things are as they should. I think it's just as important today that the Christian message, that what's at the heart of being a Christian is not forgotten, that our understanding of that isn't confused, that it's still central to our life. So these words are for us today. I think even more so than they were way back 2,000 years ago. We need to keep checking back with God to have him be our diagnostic supervisor. I'm not sure what the word for that is. But the one who keeps bringing us back into line. So this morning, a six-point checklist. And if you're someone who takes notes, I want to encourage you to give each one of these little points a rating, one to five. One means low, I need to work on this one, and five means high. If you're not taking notes, then you might just do that mentally. So the first thing I saw when I read through Philippians, and this is the first checkpoint, is how Paul is a real encouragement to other people. And that's the first checkpoint. What kind of an encouragement are you to other people? And when we understand the context that I've just explained, what really stands out is that Paul's initial thoughts in this letter are not about his own situation. He was in jail. But rather about others. Philippians 1 verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. So here was Paul in prison, joyfully thinking about others. His letter didn't start with, guys, I'd really appreciate your prayers. This is really hard. Please send more food. I don't belong here. It wasn't my fault. I was only doing what God told me to. It's not fair. Maybe you can see someone or if you know someone, have a chat with them. See if you can get me out of here. You've got no idea what it's like. This is really tough. That's not how he starts his letter. In fact, that's not in his letter at all. So in the midst of his difficult circumstances, he's being an encouragement to others. He's praying for them and concerned for them. But more than just thinking about them, he wanted the very best for them. 
And he was more concerned for them than himself. And that's got to be a challenge. When things are hard for you, when you're uh, going through tough times, instead of centering your thoughts on that, you're thinking, I want the very best for others. Yes, my situation's not so good, but I want them to have the very, very best. So how are you going with that first checkpoint, one to five rating? Are you able to rise from your own situation and be an ongoing encouragement to others? But before you give yourself a rating, I'm not just talking about thinking of others, but it's how you think about them as well. Paul thought about the others, the Philippians, with joy. Not just, oh, I guess I wonder what they're doing in the fresh air and sunshine today. <laughs> he thought about them with joy. And I'm sure that when he could, his thoughts would turn to action based on the very best for that person. So that's checkpoint number one. What kind of an encouragement are you to others when things are difficult for you? The second checkpoint is, do you understand that you have a purpose even during the hard times of life? You have a purpose even during the hard times of life. Back to the Bible, in chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. This is Paul writing again. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, and he's talking about prison, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So even in prison, he didn't stop his purpose, telling people about God. And others around him gained confidence because of how he was responding to that. Could that be said of you? That in your difficult times, you don't stop telling people about God, encouraging them, speaking the faith. Can people look at you going through hard times and think, wow, what an encouragement that is to me. He knew that his purpose wasn't dependent on fair weather. Paul was an example to the believers and he strengthened them to do God's work wherever he was. I know a man who passed away a number of years ago and um, before his death, some eight or nine years, he was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. It used to be called creeping paralysis because it starts at the feet and the extremities of the, of the limbs and they go numb and lose feeling and you lose the ability to move them. So you start to stumble and trip over your feet a little bit. And that was the first he knew of it. He was at a church camp playing cricket um, as a 40-something-year-old and he hit the ball and set off for a run and his feet didn't quite cooperate. He thought, that's a, bit, a little bit funny. But uh, it took about nine years for him to die. Um, bit by bit, his body just shut down until at last he was in hospital and they are just trying to keep his heart and lungs working. But he used that time to testify to God in an amazing way he wrote a book to encourage people he became a, a speaker a popular speaker at different functions and he would start off saying we're all dying I just know that my time perhaps is sooner than some of yours 
But he then spoke about his faith and he never lost sight of his purpose of sharing about Jesus. What an example. What an amazing witness. So a rating, one to five. In the challenging times, how well do you still know your purpose and share the good news of Jesus? The third checkpoint is about about consistent conduct. Again, chapter 1, verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And my question to you is, would you change any aspect of your conduct if Jesus was physically present with you? Now we know that he is present with us through his spirit, but if he was right next to you, would you change any manner of your conduct? Would your words change? Would your actions change? Would your thoughts change? Are there things that you turn on and off depending who you are with? And if so, my question to you is, well, who's the real person then? The one who sits here on church on Sunday, does the right things, gets involved with it all, or the one that we don't see between Monday and Friday? It's about consistent conduct, conduct that is worthy of the good news of Jesus. So for that checkpoint, give yourself a rating, one to five, in regards to how consistent your conduct is. And is it worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ? The fourth checkpoint, we're halfway through. Chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. I've already mentioned something about the world of crooked and perverse people. Do you know that Paul had every reason to complain? The chains, they're a little bit hard, they hurt, they rub into my skin. Food, well, it's not really nice. Can I have a little bit more? It's cold, it's damp, I'd rather be outside, and so on and so on and so on. So it's not that he didn't have anything to complain about, it's simply that he chose not to complain about them. He knew that there were more important matters at hand than his situation. He knew that complaints and arguments focus our effort and thoughts inwardly and negatively, rather than on the hope and the joy that God gives us. He knew that the world was full of crooked and perverse people, as I've mentioned. But he knew that those people were watching him as a Christian and watching the Philippians as Christians. And if they were watching a group of people who were full of complaint and argument, then they would be judged and criticised by that and would reflect poorly on their Christian faith. Our society needs those bright, shining lights now as much as it did before. Paul is saying we can't be called to be who we should be if our lives are dulled by an attitude that is disagreeable and full of complaint. So when it comes to complaints, arguments, give yourself a rating. The fifth checkpoint, Paul was not there yet. He had more to learn, more to grow. He wasn't there yet. 
chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Paul knows that he has not already made it. There is more to learn. There is more growing to do. The sins and mistakes and failures of the past weren't going to hold him back. He was going to move forward. And my challenge to us all this morning is, in regards to pressing on and intentionally growing and moving forward in Christ, how would you rate yourself? Are you constantly seeking and striving for something more of God and not thinking you've arrived? Not thinking, well, that's enough for now. I think I've got this all sorted out and understand where it is. I'll take this much, no more. If we have that kind of attitude, then we become stale and weary and we lack freshness and enthusiasm. We have to keep pressing on. But this one requires some action. You won't press on in God if the only pressing you do is to press your backside firmly into a comfy chair and press the on button of a screen. If that's the only pressing you do, you won't press on in God. When I spoke a few weeks ago, I urged us all to take time to ponder, to reflect, to have time with God, to allow him to speak with us. That's a great start if you're going to press on. And I wonder how you're going with that. Of course, the alternative to pressing on in God is to press pause or to press off. There's really no other option. Give yourself a rating, one to five. Are you intentionally pressing on, seeking more of God, striving to learn more about him? And the last checkpoint I've picked up from Philippians, and there's many more in there, I encourage you to read it yourself, is simply in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 4. For I have learned to be content with what I have. The second part of verse 11. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. Now that seems at odds with pressing on. How can you press on and want to finish the race and strive and do more if you're content? The pressing on is about knowing God and becoming Christ-like. The learning to be content is specifically to do with possessions and what you have. In that context, Paul talks about being hungry or being full, having all that I need, not having much at all. And that's what he's talking about in terms of learning to be content. So my question to us all is, what do you strive for? What do you strive for? What are you really working for? Will you find at the end of the year a feeling of contentment because you've paid that much more off the home loan or because you've got this model car or because you've achieved this or earned that or had enough money to buy this? Will that give you a sense of contentment? I don't think it will. Or at the end of the year, when you look back on the year, will you find contentment that your time and efforts and your energy have been spent helping those around you grow in their Christian faith and experiencing the joy of a relationship with Jesus. So give yourself a rating, one to five, in terms of a feeling of contentment. 
and where you put your energies and your efforts. So there's six checkpoints. But Paul gives us a clue as to how we can achieve these things. And uh, it's one of my favourite passages in the Bible. Let's have a look at Philippians 4, 8 and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And a key word in this passage is fix. Fix your thoughts. That doesn't mean that other things pop into your mind and pop out of your mind. It happens. It happens a lot. But the key word is fix. It's an action. Where, where am I going to fix my thoughts, fix my mind? What am I going to keep coming back to? What's that solid, immovable point that my thoughts will always come back to? And are those things true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise? Because that's the key to beating all these challenges in life is where do we fix our thoughts? Today wasn't a numbers game. I'm not going to get you to add up your points that you've given yourself either written down or mentally. There's no prize for the person with the highest score. There's no remedial classes for the persons with the lowest score. It doesn't work like that. It's just something that can help you think about how you're going in your Christian life. What today is about is what is it that God places on your heart? From the verses we've looked at, for the thoughts that I share with you, what is it that God places on your heart? Where do you think he's nudging you back on track? Where perhaps the message is confused or you're not really sure whether you're still following in a right way. One of the things about being off track is that we can convince ourselves it's actually right. We can justify something and think that it's okay. And all we need is one other person to agree with us and you think, right, I'm all good. But those two people can be wrong. I can be wrong. Don't take it from what I say. If we want to know truth, we have to go to the word of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And I believe that that truth is there intentionally. Yes, he's the way, the way to eternal life. Yes, he's the life. He gives us life to the full. But it doesn't say I am the way, the hope and the life, or I am the way, the joy and the life. It's the truth. And if we want those things, we have to know the truth. And if we want to find the truth, then we have to go to the word of God. So the only way that we can make sure that our message is not confused, that we're not misunderstanding and misinterpreting, is to continue to go back to the word of God. Can I get the band to come forward, please? We're going to finish with the song, What a Beautiful Name. And as we do that, I want you really to reflect about Jesus. Paul's message to the Philippians was all about the good news of Jesus Christ and making sure that they knew the joy and the uh, amazing gift that Jesus provided for us. 
And we really need to constantly just check that that's the focus of our life. I'll get the band just to play quietly in the background. And I want to lead you through uh, a time of reflection. And uh, as I said before, it's not about numbers and scores. And when I read through Philippians, they're the things that jumped out to me. But there's a whole lot more in there as well. And as you read through it over the week, and it's only four chapters, it won't take long. See what God... um, what jumps out to you from God? What is it that uh, is a checkpoint that perhaps wasn't quite right in your life? What message have you miscommunicated or misunderstood or misinterpreted or not acted uh, upon well over the past uh, time in your life? With the whole aim to make sure that at the centre of your life is Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Jesus at the centre. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to open up our hearts and our minds to you now. Father, we want to be honest, honest in our assessment of where we are. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will point out uh, areas of our life that need to be bumped back on track. Father, it's not about numbers, scores, it's about hearing from you. Father, I pray that we will take time, particularly in this coming week as we move towards Vision Sunday, as we've been encouraged, we'll put something in our lives aside so we can spend more time with you. That in those times we look forward to the way that you speak to us. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we're heading in the wrong direction, when we're ignoring the good news of the gospel, when we're so focused on our own situation and context that we can't be a source of joy and encouragement to others. Father, I pray that you will move in this church in a mighty way. We thank you for who you are. Amen.